Hello, Impactco listeners and Impactco community. Welcome to another podcast from me, Nesh, from the finance and investing arm of the Impactco Collective. Um, we're two episodes in. This is the third. Um, thank you all for the support on the first two episodes, regardless of where you're watching or listening to it. Um, we have a YouTube video. We have the podcast on Spotify and Apple Music and the other podcast platforms. We also have a bunch of TikToks and Reels and things coming out on different platforms. So there's a host of content from my section coming out from a different places. I hope you enjoy it, however you're consuming them. Before we jump into this episode, just the normal disclaimers. This podcast is for information and educational purposes. Please seek financial advice when investing in your own portfolio or thinking about investing if you don't have investment expertise. And of course, if I'm talking about stocks, I may hold them in my own personal name or uh, as part of my sort of work from an institutional perspective. Disclaimers out the way. This episode is a little bit different. In my first two episodes, I talked about Apple and then I talked about Microsoft and we discussed the history of those companies. We talked about where I think they're going. I discussed in general what I think about the investment prospects for those companies. Today, we're going to sort of combine that information and start talking about building portfolios and portfolios or collections of stocks are sort of groups of companies. And I know we've only just passed the test for making a collection by doing two companies, but we can already start to understand some of the aspects of portfolio construction, some of the aspects of what I do for a living and how that sort of comes together in creating portfolios for yourself, or if you've hired an investment manager via your retirement annuity, or if you have a financial advisor, what they might be doing on your behalf. So today I'm going to talk about how we might combine Microsoft and Apple together to create a portfolio. I want to talk about what I do as a portfolio manager, who my clients might be. I want to talk about aspects like diversification. Uh, and I also want to talk about how we start linking these financial concepts together to start thinking about the building blocks in investments. I think of equities as one silo or one asset class in investing. We're going to start thinking about outside just investing in stocks, which are equities. What other asset classes are there and why an investor might consider thinking of investing between them, how we combine them together. So in the first couple of episodes, it might have seemed a little bit random. Why, why on earth are we talking about Apple and Microsoft? In this episode, we're going to talk about that one leg of what I talked about this podcast would be sort of demystifying financial concepts and trying to holistically bring this world of finance together. So I'm going to talk about companies, of course, every other week. Uh, it's going to be the thing I talk about the most. But interspersed with that is going to be the current events, is going to be episodes like this that start to unpack and, and demystify other areas of finance. And I think once we're done with this journey, when we put it all together, we'll be able to see exactly how far we've come. And we should have a good sense of what the investment landscape looks like. Okay, so without further ado. We have discussed Apple and Microsoft. If you haven't watched those episodes, of course, go back and do it. But if you haven't, you should know what Apple and Microsoft do. And if we're thinking about this from an investment perspective, which one would you like to invest in? And if I gave you, say, $1,000, how would you invest in either of them or both of them? So if I give you $1,000, you can invest fully in Microsoft. You could invest fully in Apple with that $1,000, or you could invest in a combination. You could do half Apple, half Microsoft. You can do 25% Apple, 75% Microsoft. You can do 
10% Apple's, 90% Microsoft. You could even add a third company. Say you want to invest in Walmart or Nike or Amazon. How would you throw in that third company into the mix? That is the nub of portfolio construction, building a portfolio. How and why you would allocate to this combination of companies. And I mean, really sit down and think about it. Pause the podcast if you want and come back to it in a minute or two and really think about why you might or might not want to put a certain amount of money in each company and why. Even if your decision is, I would I would not want to invest in either company, that is a portfolio decision. And I want to sort of unpack how we come to that decision and some elements of portfolio construction theory and how my peers might build portfolios in the industry. But I'm curious to know what that answer is for you. If you're on YouTube, you can actually comment on it. Um, if you're listening on Spotify, you can't exactly, but maybe pop over to the YouTube channel and leave a little comment, or you can leave a comment on Instagram. You can DM me directly on Instagram if you want. I'd love to hear what your combination would be of Apple, Microsoft, or some other portfolio that you might come up with. As we go further and further and do more and more companies, you'll be able to build bigger and bigger portfolios if you haven't already. So it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on that. From my perspective, if you if you listen to the two podcasts, you would have taken away the fact that I was a lot more positive on Microsoft than I was with Apple. So it would make a hell of a lot of sense that I would sort of have a bigger weight in Microsoft or in this two portfolio scenario, two stock portfolio scenario, I would have all my weight in Microsoft and no weight in Apple. In reality, in my actual portfolio that I manage on behalf of my clients, I actually have them both. Microsoft and Apple. It's just I have Apple at a lower weight than Microsoft. And again, based on my positivity around Microsoft, that should make complete sense. And if you would talk to portfolio managers, that's basically how they build portfolios. What stocks do I prefer more and why? And therefore, I am going to put a bigger weight in, in the ones I prefer and either a smaller weight or no weight in the stocks that I don't. Um, I talked through why I'm sort of a bit perplexed by Apple at this point. Um, there's too much reliance on the iPhone. Some of the other product categories like the iPad and the iMacs aren't pulling enough weight. Even something like the wearables relies a lot on the iPhone ecosystem. People are delaying their purchases of iPhones uh, now more than ever. Um, the services component, the services revenue is great, but it requires an installed base of iPhones uh, and other Apple products and then requires those consumers to actually buy from an app store, which not many of us actually do. Um, on the other hand, when I, when I was talking about Microsoft uh, a few weeks ago now, if you're listening to it a few weeks ago, uh, I talked about how much diversification that group had gotten, how some of its legacy business was actually growing in stature now, thanks to subscription as a service. I talked about the cloud. I talked about enterprise. I talked about completely different avenues of growth, like gaming and social media via LinkedIn and uh, how Bing, which we've never really used, we've always used Google as a society, could now start getting traction because of OpenAI and ChatGPT, which could be integrated into Microsoft. So from a number of perspectives, I just thought that Microsoft had a lot more levers to pull when it came to us from, from a stock perspective, from an opportunity perspective. And that's why I would choose to upweight Microsoft over Apple. Now, crucially, your decision may be different from mine, and there is no way of telling at this stage who is right and who is wrong. 
I mean, think about it. We're talking about the future here, right? Apple could come out and they are working on a VR headset right now that could dominate the world. If you believe that Apple will continue to be a very strong company and grow from strength to strength and you put more of your weight in Apple than Microsoft and Microsoft have a couple of missteps, have some regulatory issues, Apple could outperform Microsoft quite comfortably. It could very easily happen. It is a high quality business. So this idea of portfolio, com uh, portfolio construction comes with a lot of nuance. It comes with a lot of opinion. It is an art, as I would like to think about it. And I'll unpack that a little bit just now. There is one thing, though, that I didn't discuss. And in fact, I won't discuss when I'm talking about these companies. And that is something called valuation. In the first two episodes, I talked about the history of these companies, where I think they're going, what their positives and what their negatives are. The market around me, and that's comprised of my peers, other investors, are buying and selling stock in Apple and Microsoft every single day. And their purchase of Microsoft or their purchase of Apple is going to influence the share price of that company. I don't want to get into deep market dynamics. Suffice to say for this conversation, you can think of it like buying and selling houses. If I go into a certain street where a house is for sale and my offer price is, I don't know, pick a number, 5 million rand. If another bidder comes up and bids 5.5 million rand for that house and then buys that house, that house is almost repriced at 5.5 million rand. And that's effectively how the world of investing works. Um, a stock's price can change on that kind of buying and selling decision. If if two market participants are both bidding on the shares of Apple, the share price of Apple will go up very much like house prices can go up as bidders start to buy and sell that stock. If the market in aggregate is negative on a stock, there will be more sellers than buyers. And that's how a stock price starts to fall over time. That stock price and the value that you put on a company is crucially important. So for example, if you're very positive around Apple. And let's assume the Apple share price is at $100. If you value Apple using valuation techniques, your valuation may come out to $150. And inside that valuation is all your positivity around Apple as a company. You would go and buy Apple for $100, just like the person who bought the house for five and a half million dollars, uh, five and a half million rand in this case, outbid me. The value that you ascribe to something is crucial because it'll determine whether you want to buy or sell that thing. I I thought of an example. I'm, I'm a big TV person. I, I love a good TV. So I looked up the price of an 85-inch Neo QLED Samsung TV. And South African rands, that TV costs 100,000 rand, literally 99,999 rand. In dollar terms, as at writing, that's about $5,000, okay? If I came to you and said, I would sell you that TV for $10, would you buy it? So a half a rand, basically. Um, would you would you buy it? And the the answer should obviously be yes. I would obviously buy a TV for that price. Um, not half a rand. I said half a rand just now. Uh, Ten dollars is the equivalent of say two hundred rand in South Africa. Would you spend two hundred rand on a TV that costs ten thousand, a hundred thousand rand, or five thousand dollars? Of course you would. The TV's value is 100,000 Rand or $5,000. If the price in the market is something extremely small and ludicrous, like $10 or 200 Rand, clearly there's a lot of value in buying that stock. 
If I told you I was selling you that TV for a million dollars, clearly it's vastly overvalued because the TV is only worth a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, sorry, a hundred thousand rand. Um, you can see how my mind's getting muddled with, with rands and dollars. But the point is that there is a value for something. And if we sell something at a value higher than what it's priced for, it doesn't look attractive. It's as simple as that. So in this case, Samsung put out a price for a TV. We can very clearly understand what the price of this TV is. So it would be irrational for someone to be selling a $5,000 TV for $10. It would also be irrational for someone to sell a $5,000 TV for $100,000. When it comes to stocks, it's a little bit more, more nuanced, a little bit more complicated than that. There is no Samsung putting out the price of a TV. All of us are doing our valuations on company to determine what the fair value is for Microsoft and Apple. When we come together as a market and then buy and sell prices and it gets set, that is not the obvious price for a stock. So you could come in and buy Apple because you think there's significantly more value inside Apple, and that's completely fine. Now, crucially, valuation concepts are complicated. They involve elements of accounting, economics. I mean, people study four-year degrees at university just to understand how to value companies. I can't go through that nuance in a podcast like this, which is why at a high level, I try and describe what a company does and what its merits and cons are. That is crucial from a valuation perspective, but taking that and putting it into a valuation model takes another level of skill, which I've spent many years developing, and quite frankly, you can too. If you're interested in the skill of valuation, I would recommend looking up on YouTube the videos of Aswath Damodran. He's someone that I followed for a long time and learned valuation concepts after university. He presents lectures on valuation in a very manageable way, I think. And with a little bit of upskilling, you can also do valuations. So I think it is important to understand the context of valuation while we're talking about these companies, especially when we start building portfolios. Now, to me, like I said, Apple seems overvalued by the market based on my own valuation on Apple. Microsoft seems fairly valued with a lot of upside attached to it. So I'm sort of positive on Microsoft and I have a bigger weight in Microsoft. Now, of course, the way I described Microsoft and Apple shows you that I am biased in a certain direction based on my views of the future. And like I said, your views could be different than mine and neither of us is right or wrong right now. We will know who's right or wrong in the future. Um, but that's why investing is such an interesting game. So when we think about what these companies do and we add the valuation together and we start to build these portfolios, the question you should ask yourself is, is there a science behind this? Is there a computer programming model or algorithm or academic theory that'll help us to build portfolios? That'll help us to determine how much we should put in Microsoft versus Apple and any other combination of companies. Quite frankly, I don't think there is. I've, like I've said, I've, I've got an honors degree in finance, a master's degree in finance. I spent years looking at valuation concepts, portfolio construction concepts. And I think that portfolio construction is an art form. Now, some of the tools that you learn at university, if you had to do a finance degree about portfolio construction are things called modern portfolio theory, the capital asset pricing model, uh, the black litterman model. All of these things are portfolio construction models, but quite frankly, I don't use them at all. Most of my peers in the industry don't use them at all to build portfolios. It is much more of an art form. 
if you think about my portfolio, for example, the portfolio that I manage on behalf of my clients, I generally try and blend cheap companies and expensive companies together. Uh, cheap companies because I think that they will grow in value closer to what I estimate their fair value is. I sometimes hold companies that are a bit more expensive that have rallied over time because I think there's a little bit more to give for those companies. So there's a nice blend. I'll sometimes blend companies from different geographies because different countries have different things going for them. I'll sometimes blend higher quality companies with slightly lower quality companies. I'll blend certain ideas together. And the way I do that is more artistic than it is scientific, to be quite frank. When I value a company, it's very scientific. But when I build portfolios, it's quite artistic. Now, for example, uh, a core idea that we're working on right now from a portfolio perspective is the, the need for more computational power in the world, whether it be because of cloud computing, whether it be because of AI and machine learning, or just because as a society, we're using more and more data. So I've invested in a number of companies that form what I call the AI backbone, uh, something called ASML, which allows us to make semiconductors. Taiwan Semiconductor, which actually use ASML's lithography machines to make semiconductors. And then the likes of Apple and Sony, who use those chips inside iPhones and iPads and Sony Playstations. And then like the likes of Microsoft, Google, and Adobe, who use that hardware by creating software to provide a product for clients. So I have this whole data ecosystem that I try and invest across. And that's a theme I'm trying to work on for the next 10 or 20 years. There's no scientific model that told me that that theme would work. It's just something that I think is going to be important. So I found companies in the supply chain and I've invested across that supply chain. For a long time, I've been overweight healthcare stocks because I believe that uh, as a generation, we're getting older and older, living longer and longer. And because of that, we'll need more healthcare. So I do have an invest more stocks in healthcare than I do in some other sectors. I'm also worried right now about high inflation and a recession. So I have less discretionary stocks like uh, your Nikes, for example, where uh, you have discretion in that spending. It's not a it's not a need. It's a want. And if we go through some economic pain, you spend less on once. So if I think you're going to spend less on once, I don't want to invest in those companies. Um, so it's that sort of art that comes in blending different stock ideas in together to making a portfolio. And I find with my peers, we all have a slightly different way of doing it. Uh, so we've all sort of developed our own art and philosophy. And that's where a long tenured portfolio manager who's built up this art form over a long time, it's actually quite a powerful thing. And remember, I've, I've sort of discussed now a lot of different concepts, but take it back to Apple and Microsoft. The core here is how much would you put in Apple versus Microsoft? And the idea there goes in what do you think the future will look like, as well as how cheap or expensive those companies are right now. So that is the sort of our sort of entry level portfolio management, portfolio construction discussion. And it's interesting. It's, it's a big topic that we will unpack over a series of of podcast episodes, but I want to talk about what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I've kind of walked you through it right now. I, I try and find the best companies in the world for my clients and invest in them. My universe of stocks, so where I'm allowed to invest, is about 1,500 different companies that I could choose from. All those companies exist in the developed market region of the world, developed market countries. I'll unpack that a little bit in a real. In essence, I can't invest in emerging market countries, only stocks in developed markets. If you look at 
companies around the world. There are about 60,000 listed companies all over the world. My universe, 1,500. That group of 60,000 companies can be cut up in a variety of ways. Like I said, my clients want developed market companies, and I'll explain why in a reel. Some other investors might want a country-specific bias. Maybe they want specific stocks in America, and that's the investment universe. Some might want stocks in Brazil or Australia or China. That is the investment, that is the investor's call. They might want exposure to that area, and a portfolio manager investing on that client's behalf will invest in that area. That's their universe. It might not be country, it might be market cap based. Hopefully you watch that reel that I put out. Maybe certain clients want larger cap companies versus smaller cap companies. So their investment manager will go in that direction. I've already mentioned emerging market versus developed market. What about type of company? I've seen certain portfolios that only invest in healthcare stocks, for example, or only invest in technology stocks, for example. The need of the investor will determine what the portfolio manager is allowed to do. And like I said, my own gambit, find the best companies in the world across the developed market. And in that space, I have 1,500 companies to look at. And I find my job quite interesting, to be quite frank. I sort of get to go into an office. I work from home a lot now, but I get to go into my office and think about big picture concepts. Do I like Apple or Microsoft? What do I think about Adobe? Is Samsung a great company? Uh, why will Amazon dominate Walmart or vice versa? Is Tesla going to dominate the car industry? I think the type of person who would do well in this type of career is someone who just likes to know everything, is a knower of things. And I'm that kind of person. I'm highly inquisitive, very, very curious. And I'm looking across different ideas and different companies across the world. I love that. If I had to walk in every day and I don't know, fix people's fillings as a dentist. I don't think that would work for me, but trying to understand the big picture of the world does. So that's sort of my day to day. Now, the question remains, why would a client, why would an investor invest in me? And why would they want an investment in developed market companies? Now, like I said, there's 1,500 developed market companies. Two of them are Apple and Microsoft. To give you an example of what their return has been over the last 10 years alone, Apple has returned 1,171%. That's about 29% per year for the last 10 years. Microsoft has gone up 1,065%. So that's about 28% per year for the last 10 years. That is a very large investment return. To put that in context, if you put your money into a bank in the United States, for example, you're probably going to get 2 or 3% return per year. If you did that in South Africa, where interest rates are a little bit higher, you might get something like 5, 6 or 7% per year. I'm saying that investment in a very high quality company has been 29 or almost 30% per year for the last 10 years. That's 10x effectively what you could get in the United States. So you can see how investing in companies can be extremely lucrative. So they want to invest to get a return, a big return. Why would they want that return? Well, the idea of saving is all about delayed purchasing. That's, that's all that saving is, quite frankly. So my investors are typically delaying their purchasing for some specific reason. And it can be as simple as I want to buy a car in five to 10 years. So I'm going to invest in this portfolio and hopefully it's combination of assets do really, really well and get me what I need to buy a car in 10 years. 
at the same time it might be a wedding your your child might be going to university you might be going to university um but i have to say that the majority of my investors are saving for one crucial thing and that is retirement for those of us who can't be like the billionaires in the world who have enough money to last in the rest of their lives we tend to have a very specific life path it is to finish university or finish school start to work work until retirement and then hopefully have saved enough money in our working years to give us enough money to live in retirement without having to work it's as simple as that and it is the ultimate delayed purchase you're going to work for the next 40 or 50 years till you're 60 or 65 hoping to and all those purchases are delayed so that you can live from 65 to hopefully 100 or 110 or 120 and because you're not going to work in those years you need to have saved enough money to sort of have an investment have savings available for you to spend in those years of retirement so most of my clients are actually saving year over year for a very long period hoping to get the biggest return possible so that when they retire they can retire comfortably the bigger return i give them the more comfortably they can retire which is why a lot of money will be invested in shares versus say a general bank account because the larger the investment return hopefully the larger their retirement savings can be maybe they can retire earlier or just retire comfortably So clients invest with me because they do want to earn a return to satisfy some specific goal. That goal usually is retirement, but it could quite frankly be anything. Where whatever need you have and whatever goal you have, it might match investing in my portfolio. Now, quite frankly, a lot of people don't have the expertise to invest on their own behalf. That makes sense. It's why they seek financial advice, it's why they seek out portfolio managers like me. That is completely fine. I spend all of my time thinking about companies and how to invest in them. That simply makes sense. The other reason is the concept of diversification, and it's going to come up a lot as we go through episodes and episodes. But diversification and the core concept of diversification was posited by Harry Markowitz, a Nobel Prize-winning financial theorist, and he talked about something called systematic and unsystematic risk. Don't worry about the jargon. The essence is that if you had to invest in one company like Apple, a lot could go wrong. Same with Microsoft or any other company. Markowitz posited that you got something called diversification, which is effectively effectively the spreading of risk. The adequate spreading of risk across companies happened when you invested in around 30 to 40 companies. At that point, no individual company would hurt you so much. that you would lose a, a dramatic amount of your investment and that's crucial so a core part of me doing what i do is building a portfolio large enough of high quality companies blended companies that my investors can earn a return but have quite diversified return so no single company can hurt them it's another reason why clients invest in us apart from not having the expertise maybe someone could pick one company to invest in that's not too difficult i guess but there's too much risk in it to manage a portfolio of 30 40 stocks or more that's a lot more complicated and most people don't want to do that apart from their normal day job which is why i do it my current global portfolio has about 100 companies in it so you can see how much diversification i have across a number of different ideas so we're at a point where we know two companies 
in this podcast, Apple and Microsoft, clearly not enough for true and proper diversification, but we're on the road to get there. The, the, the goal is to build up enough knowledge that we can understand enough companies that we can understand how to put these things together into portfolios. Uh, and like I said, I have a thousand five hundred companies that I can invest in for my clients. So I really need to understand a, a bunch of them to shortlist the hundred that I invest in in my portfolio. Okay, so we've discussed how we would build our own portfolio of Apple and Microsoft, some of the art of portfolio construction. We've discussed what I do, why I do it, why my investors invest in me, and so on. I now want to sort of get to the last bit of this podcast with something called an asset class. Some people refer to it as a building block or a silo. We've talked significantly and specifically about companies and investing in companies. Sure, it's just two companies right now. But like I say, there are 60,000 companies out there. Asset classes are investments that share a similar risk and return profile. So like I said, Apple's up 29% per year over the last 10 years. Uh, Microsoft's up 28% over the last 10 years. And I, I, I contrasted that to investing in a bank account or a fixed deposit, which gives you a much lower return every single year, um, but also comes with much lower risk. Apple and Microsoft, because they are companies that operate in the world, their values tend to go up and down. Both companies have had 50% losses in some years and 30% losses in some years on that road to being up a thousand percent. Return, which is that thousand percent return is crucial, but risk is also important. In my world, risk is not just how much you could lose. It's actually how much something can go up and down. So the fact that both of those companies went up about 28 to 29% per year was great, but risk implies that they can also go down quite dramatically in the region of 28, 29% and more. Two. That is why picking specific good companies makes so much sense. Sure, those two companies went up 30% for the last 10 years. There are other companies that went down by the same amount and, and some of them don't exist. So investing in stocks seems like a great idea. It seems like a great idea to generate investment return, but you have to pick them very carefully. On the other side, investing in a bank account, fixed deposit, savings account, that's sort of a no-brainer. Sure, you get a really small return, but there's absolutely zero risk or very, very minimal risk. Because say you do a fixed deposit where a bank keeps your money for 12 months. At the end of that 12 months, the bank tells you that you're going to get your initial investment plus say two or three percentage points. There is no risk there. The bank doesn't say to you, you could lose two or three percentage points. You basically have a guaranteed return of two or three percentage points. The only thing that can take that away is if the bank failed to exist. And that's a very, very, very low probability event. So your return seems to be capped and seems to be very small, but so too is your risk. And that's why they're very, very different. Cash and investing in cash-like assets, which is typically investing in banks, that is an asset class. Very much like investing in equities or companies is its own asset class. And they differentiate themselves by cash being very low return, very low risk, and equities being very high return, very high risk. There are a bunch of asset classes in between that. And I just want to add one more for now, just to create a bit of a spectrum here. We're going we're gonna to sort of add it iteratively with this thing. And the one I want to add is property. 
a lot of people talk about investing in property, you know, buying an apartment or buying a house and renting it out or buying a house, making it look a little bit better and then selling it to someone, the next person for a little bit more money. Property is an asset class. It's an asset class that typically sits somewhere in between equity or investing in companies and cash in terms of risk and return. It's returns not as high as equities. It's not as low as cash. It's risk is not as high as equities, not as low as cash. Why? Because typically when you buy a property, you're buying a physical piece of property, a tangible property that you can see, touch and feel. And that reduces some of the risk associated with property. Because regardless of how the property market moves, you can maintain and hold this physical property until property values become a little bit more stable. You are not forced to sell that property in a bad market. Equities, on the other hand, can move dramatically. There is no physical asset that you have. And equity values could go down to zero. Physical property, if it's still standing, that value typically does not go down to zero. So its risk is a lot lower. But its return is also lower than equities. Property prices do tend to go up year over year, but they don't go up as much as 30% per year, not in most places. At the same time, they do go up a little bit more than cash. Because the risk and return of property looks different to cash and different to equities, it gets its own silo. And property, therefore, is its own asset class. Why that's important is... If we go back to delayed purchases of my clients, let's assume a client of mine wants to buy a car in 10 years. Um, let's say they have 50,000 Rand now and a car will cost them 100,000 Rand. So they need to grow their investment from 50,000 to 100,000. They need to double their money over the next 10 years. Clearly, if you're getting 2 or 3% in cash, you're not going to double your money over the next 10 years, that starts to create an investment goal, okay? They could invest in property, although 50,000 is not gonna really get you a property, but let's assume it does. That property needs to grow by 50,000 or double over the next five years. It could happen if you invest in a good property in a good area. So already from a return perspective, the client seems to be moving away from cash into property as a chosen asset class. If he, if he or she really needs that money to grow quickly, then an investment in equities makes the most sense. That 50,000 Rand has the best chance of growing to 100,000 Rand, which will give them the opportunity to buy the car. But it will come with risk, right? That 50,000 Rand could go down to 30,000 Rand and then grow up to 60,000 Rand and then back up and back down. And maybe we reach the 100,000 Rand goal, maybe we don't. Why the asset classes make sense is because we can start to invest in a combination of asset classes. Let's go back to retirement. Let's assume you just started working. You have 40 years in the market, really long time. Investors in that, in that world typically invest a lot in equities, a little bit in property and much less in cash. Why? They have a very long time horizon to invest in. So they can give themselves the opportunity to play around with the risk and return of equity markets, knowing that in the long run, equity markets tend to go up. Because they have such a long time horizon, they can stick out those ebbs and flows. Let's assume you're one year from retirement. You've re had retirement savings for the last 40 years. You're going to retire next year. Can you afford to have all your money in equities? Probably not. This is your entire life savings. Typically, investors in that environment will move towards something safer like cash.
So depending on your risk and return goal, you'll move between the asset classes. If an investor decided that they want to invest in equities, that's when inside equities, they now get to choose. Do you want US equities or European equities? Do you want large cap equities, small cap equities? Do you want emerging market equities? So we start with what is your goal from a return perspective? How much risk can you take on? Therefore, which asset classes can you invest in? And a, and a sort of investment firm will decide how which asset classes you can invest in. And the equity money that gets invested on your behalf will come to someone like me who will invest it in a portfolio of 100 companies at this stage. But in terms of our podcast, we'll then choose to invest in either Microsoft or Apple or some combination of the two. Hopefully, this has started to sort of give you a sense of what the financial landscape looks like. It gives you a sense of why we discussed Microsoft and Apple, what the context is around equities, what a portfolio manager like me is. And then it's starting to bubble up and give you a sense of who is my client? What is a saver? Why are they saving? What's risk and return? What are the other asset classes apart from equity? And why are they important? When you start to piece all of these things together, you start to understand the wider investment world. And like I said in episode one of this podcast, it does affect every single one of us. I don't care if you're an engineer or a dentist or a lawyer. This affects you because all of us are saving towards retirement. And all of us therefore have money invested probably in equities and and cash and property. And we need to understand how these things all fit together because we need to understand how it's going to affect us later down the line. If your investment manager is investing in Microsoft versus Apple, you now have a little bit more understanding to be able to to sort of have an opinion on that. And I think in this world that we're in now where as millennials and generation X and Y and Z and whatever letter we're on now, we do care and have a, a vested interest in things done on our behalf. And I hope I'm giving you some sort of context and some sort of ability to have a better understanding of these things that have been so opaque in the past. I will unpack these more and more. We'll talk about these more and more. But hopefully after the first three episodes, you get a sense of what I'm trying to achieve. As always, if you've made it to this part of the podcast, I genuinely appreciate you getting here. I appreciate your time. This is the end of the podcast. And if you're listening on Spotify or the other uh, podcast platforms, please rate and review us. If you're watching this on YouTube, comment, thumbs up, subscribe, all of those good things. Um... Hopefully this starts a conversation. Like I said, DM me, comment on this video. Um, happy to unpack this a little bit more. And I hope you join me in future episodes where we're going to talk about companies, unpack financial concepts and demystify a little bit. All we want to do with you is educate and inspire. Thank you for joining us for another podcast. All the best. Stay safe. See you soon.